Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue in Matthew chapter 5, focusing on just one verse again. Verse 14. We spent several weeks diving into the Beatitudes, and we finished looking at those in the preceding verses. Here, Jesus makes a shift in the Sermon on the Mount to speak of the influence of God's people in the world. And he starts with the metaphor of salt. Why did Jesus use salt as a metaphor for the influence of his people in the world? What do we know about salt? Well, it's used to improve the flavor of food, but it's also used as a preservative. Which one is in view, and how does that help us understand our role in the world as believers? Well, Pastor Jim will help us understand Jesus' meaning as well as the warning embedded in it. What good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Here is today's slice of the sermon entitled, The Salt of the Earth. We have a statement in the Old Testament, one of those things you just might kind of slide right past, that describes the use of salt to keep things from growing. It was an act of war against the city of Shechem. It's in Judges chapter 9, verse 45, and we're told this, Abimelech fought against the city all that day. And he captured the city and killed the people who were in it. Then he razed the city, destroyed everything, and sowed it with salt. That was an act of, you might call it, environmental terrorism, rendered by, uh, that rendered um, Shechem uninhabitable for a very long time. I don't know if you remember, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, some years ago, something like that. There was a huge tsunami that struck a couple of the islands in Indonesia. And that's where seawater comes in in such a massive wave that it washes way inland, uh, sometimes in some cases a couple of miles inland. And uh, some of our uh, friends were involved in relief efforts there and flying things in. And, and one of the most long-lasting things is you can't grow anything where that seawater washed in and then settled a little bit and then washed back out, dragged out a lot of good soil with it and polluted the soil that was there. So not just the immediate destruction of the tsunami, but the salting of the otherwise arable land is a big, big deal. So it's useless except to be thrown in the street where you don't want anything to grow. Now, there's this question, how will it be made salty again? The answer to that question is, it can't be. It's a rhetorical question. Um, You can't salt spoiled salt to make it salty again. If you come to me and you say, I have a I have a barrel of salt and it's all corrupted. Can I have some of your good salt to put with my bad salt to make my bad salt good? It won't make the bad salt good. It, it, it doesn't work that way. So there's another spiritual application that is here. There's several of them. And I think we need to look at what they are. You're the salt of the earth. 
But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty? Again, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now remember, we interpret according to context. Jesus spoke this sermon during the height of his popularity with many in the crowd who were Pharisees and their scribes who hated him, and, uh, and he was making a frontal assault on their very bad teaching. The Pharisees and their scribes were regarded by the culture as the greatest examples of spirituality. They loved to show off how spiritual they were, but the brand of religion that they offered was this legalistic set of rules and regulations. Um, Not only is that a complete failure at changing anybody's life because it only deals with external conformity to standards rather than dealing with the heart, it was even worse than that. Jesus was saying here, you're the salt of the earth. You're the good influence on the earth. And they're not. And I know he's going to get to them because he does it in the next paragraph. People who get caught up in keeping rules and regulations in order to curry favor with God, they totally miss out on God's grace. You have to be the kind of person who is blessed as one who is poor in spirit, who when you come to God, you say in spiritual things, I'm a beggar. I have nothing good to offer. Not only am I lost, I can't do anything to save myself. Pharisees were not like that. They believed that they were righteous in themselves. And so Jesus is saying that um, this is something that you need to be the opposite of. Now, I have no doubt he was thinking of the scribes and Pharisees, because as I mentioned, in the next paragraph, he's going to get to them. I've already pointed you to it in some of the earlier uh, studies in the Beatitudes, but Probably the theme verse of the whole Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, just seven verses from where we are today. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, they would have thought, surpass the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, they're just the most righteous people we have. Just ask them. They'll be glad to tell you how righteous. What do you mean beyond that? That's impossible. Oh, yeah, that's right. It is. When it comes to salvation with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So on one hand, Jesus was teaching in these metaphors that man-made religion, even if it has a few good elements to it, it's worthless for salvation. Just like contaminated salt, even though it still has a little bit of salty taste to it, it's worthless for its purpose. Jesus is saying between the lines here that people would be better off to throw out every aspect of Pharisaical religion and their self-righteousness than to hang on to it. And boy, is he going to elaborate on that. Just wait till we start working through the chunks, the paragraphs of chapter 5. You will be astounded and it will be so clear to you. 
But Jesus was also talking to the people listening to him that day. And it's written in the Word, so he's talking to us by extension. He's talking about the need to remain pure in our own walk with God. Remember the context. A true believer is one whose life is being transformed from the inside out because he comes to God with uplifted, empty hands, mourns over his sin, lets God purify his heart, lets God develop a hunger in him for, uh, for a hunger and thirst for, for righteousness. He becomes a peacemaker, all of those things. And he concluded those beatitudes with the solemn declaration that those who live like that are going to be persecuted. Now he's saying, right after you're going to be persecuted, you're the salt of the earth. How you respond, even if persecuted, is part of my plan. I showed you last time Paul's summary of the blessed are you when men persecute you, 2 Timothy 3.12. He put it this way, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So you love all of those character qualities described in the Beatitudes. You realize that you could have none of them except for the grace of God. And you realize that you want to grow in cultivating all of those things, and you get persecuted. A professing believer who responds to the heat of persecution by caving in, crumpling under the pressure, he would be like salt that is no longer useful. If you respond to the world around you by accommodating yourself to the secular attitudes and watering down your influence for righteousness, you lose your credibility as God's representative. Now, the good news is you can stumble and God can restore you. We, we, we get that, but He's talking in broad generalities here. And just as salt becomes useless because of foreign substances mixed in with it, worldliness mixed into the life of a Christian makes that person useless to God in the world. Now again, that's in broad generalities. There are a lot of other passages that teach there is restoration, there is forgiveness, there is, there is new hope in Christ. But this is why it's so important to God for His children to walk consistently in the world. You realize Jesus has no other plan for evangelizing the world than people like you and me? And do you realize that the church of Jesus Christ in the world is just one generation away from extinction unless we pass on the gospel? Now, it's been one generation away from extinction since it was started. But we're it. You and I, by means of our influence, are the representatives of Jesus Christ in this world. We are the very message of the gospel itself, embodied for people to see living examples of what God can do. This is the reason God goes to such great lengths to restore you for your own good. Hebrews 12, 
every son, every child that he receives, he chastens. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.